perfect. All good now. Did we do it? We did it. Okay, amazing. Karen, I, I hope this interview goes well, and I'm, I've been looking forward to talking to you for weeks now, but I got to say, I don't think anything will give me greater satisfaction than potentially fixing all this on the fly. <laughs> no, no, this is like some forge level stuff going on. Yeah. Here. Like... <laughs> all right. Okay, yeah. so I'm seeing all positive feedback. So we're not going to change anything ever again. And we're going to dive right in. But I'm joined today on CBH Live by writer Kieran Gillen. I'm so excited to have a chat here about this is going to be a Judgment Day post game. It's going to be um, Sins of Sinister pregame. And then, of course, we'll talk, you know, as we have time with any listener questions, uh, some creator-owned comics. I literally finished Once in Future this morning, so that's super top of mind for me. Um, so so we might want to might dive into that as well. Okay, but again, if those of you live want to get in questions, uh, that would be amazing. All I ask, be respectful to those around you in the chat, and we will have a good time here. Some mild spoilers for the comics uh, will follow. This is a Judgment Day post-game report. Uh, so the the expectation is that probably most of you have read it. If you haven't, um, maybe we'll kind of tease out if something major is going to get spoiled. But like we're going to talk about the end of the comic, so expect that. Okay, Karen, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate you being here uh, as part of your busy schedule. First question for you. In your 2016 interview with writer Jonathan Hickman, you talk about not wanting to do a major crossover because it didn't look like anyone was having any fun. I don't know if you remember this. This was on Decompressed. I listened to this recently. Um, it's a good chat. It's a really good, it's a really good interview. Uh, did you have fun with Judgment Day? Uh, and, and what did you most enjoy? I think I might, I'm not sure about this, but I think I might have said something similar in an interview recently in terms of at least the idea of doing an event, because it's looked really hard work. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all my friends have done one. Uh, not all my friends, not like literally everyone, but like a lot of my friends in, in comics have done one. And it's like, that just looked really hard work. It was emotionally grueling. Uh, no one ever likes them. <laughs> so it's like, kind of like it, it seems utterly thankless. Uh, and also, most importantly, I was asked to do one. That's the main thing. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, it was weird. And so I went in expecting it to be hell. And like, it was fine. You know, that's, that's kind of the weird sort of twist in the story, as in the, the only thing that was hard, was I was trying to write half the crossover myself. The, you know, the physical endurance. I was expecting like a lot of um, behind the scenes stuff, like just, okay, we need to do this now. I need to move this part here, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And like, that was, that had very little of that. And the only kind of stuff behind the scenes is just trying to, oh, we got to make it align. You know, and that needs to go there. You know, that kind of making sure the story could bend and support everyone required and changing my story and them changing theirs and, mm. you know, comics. Yeah. Um, so it was all fine. Like, literally, the only problem was the fact that when I was trying to write 80 books in one week or whatever it was. Yeah. And yeah. that was fine. That's fine, too, because you get through it and it's a story. <laughs> like, it's a story to tell about. And also, like, I, I've said this before somewhere, but when I was right halfway through the Tony Stark, it's sort of Avengers issue. I was starting to empathize with Tony Stark. Okay. You know, or if I work, if I work hard enough, it won't. It, the world won't end. You know, and when you're starting to empathize with Tony Stark, that's a really bad place to be mentally. <laughs> <laughs> but I can like, see that. It, it was. It, I told you, I was like, it was just as hard as. In retrospect, I realized, oh, it's just as hard as I thought it would be. But mm -hmm. I'm just kind of quite into that masochistic vibe. Like you know, it's it's like running a marathon. You've probably got to do it once, but. <laughs> and then you can say you've done it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now you can say you've done it. I mean, you definitely took on. Um, you didn't make it easier on yourself, right? You took on more of a comprehensive structure in terms of writing a lot of the one shots, right? You can kind of having this, like the crossovers that you were writing were all additive, you know? So in a lot of ways you wrote 
more than this. You are way more than the seven event issues because you were also writing sort of this core narrative to fill in details and things, um, which I personally really enjoy. I think events tend to be, um, it feels less like uh, sort of just like roulette when, mm. when there's more of a, you know, a, a directorial voice. What were kind of the, the lessons? And because you've seen all these crossovers done, right? You were heavily involved. In, in the AVX side of things, right, on Marvel, when that was happening, even if you weren't writing the main issue, you know, you wrote Consequences, you were writing the Uncanny X-Men tie-ins. You know how this stuff goes. Plus, you're just, you're a fan. You critically analyze all this stuff. What to you were the big things you wanted to make sure you tackled writing your own event? It was like, oh, there's a lot in there. And it's always like, so when I was coming into comics, like way back in 2006, I had this kind of, um, you know, I was an angry young man. You know, that's kind of how, it, that's part of the thing. And I got annoyed with some people why they were doing certain things. And like, when you go into comics, A, you realise half the reasons why, oh, you know exactly why they did half the things and it was the only reasonable decision to do in the situation. Yeah. And the other half is, oh no, I've learned a lesson from this person and I'm going to make an exciting new mistake of my own. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's, uh, there's either a good reason for it you don't know because you're outside or there is just a new chance to mess up. Um, so, with that, those big pinches of salt, the things I was kind of most into was I wanted to be additive. Yeah. I mean, there's two. There's kind of two sorts of crossovers. Ones which demand that will tie in and make the event bigger. And there's the time of event, which is here is an opportunity for you to do something with your book that's fun. So I wanted this kind of, um, in the second act, when we've got the whole kind of bum up, fun down thing, I said, here is a pitch for your book. Like, you know, you can do a story which absolutely says why this character's great, or you can do something really depressing and like make them question their ways, or anything between them. Like, mm-hmm. uh, the rules of the... And the rules are kind of what is useful to you. So that was kind of, here's a good picture of something fun. And it's additive. You can do your own thing and not do your own your book. And the first act, the part was, this is something which uh, emerges naturally from a story. You know, this is like, comes from Eternals and um, X-Men. You know, this is, there's a big response to the uh, secret of Mutant Resurrection coming out. You know, right. the, this is, this is you know, and the, the, all the stuff with Eternals. And even Avengers, which of course is more like the outside of the run, they've been this inside of Celestial. You know, this isn't just something that's dropped in from the sky one day. This is explicitly something that has been set up. Um, and that all gives you a different kind of momentum. So that's two things. Um, and then you get to start getting more arty stuff. I said, what I like and what makes me feel. And like, I wanted to write something with... I kept, my inner Jim Starlin, I found myself thinking about, because mm. I think Infinity Gauntlet is probably my favourite crossover of all time. Yeah. Like, there, there's a lot of Infinity Gauntlet in um, Judgment Day. Yes. As in, because and, and Starlin kind of, kind of um, make it about something. You yeah. know, like, and I'm, I'm a pretty wry writer, and all my characters make jokes, but the, the, the moment is important in my stories, I think, is when the mask cracks, and you get something which is actually emotionally sincere. Like, that's where you get kind of ended with Cersei. He's been wisecracking away from my entire run, and then, oh, no, I'm, I'm a complete fuck-up. Mm. Uh, it's my fault, yeah. you know. Um, well, not my fault, but like I am partly to blame for this. Yeah. So, like you know, something a bit more weight there. I'm just trying to stick to the characters, like, um, and also like stuff like the choir, like, and this is very much we're well into style now. As in, like, I don't like events when they're not quite straight. I get frustrated by the idea of these kind of a, this sort of event, which doesn't really grasp the fact that we're dying. Yeah. Like, you know, I think it's one of these things we quite like to think we're Spider-Man or one of the mutants. But in the Marvel Universe, there's no we're people in the streets. We're not the people looking down on the world. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, we'll be crushed alive. Until kind of like, let's try to make this thing feels like the end of the world like that. Um, that's, I mean, to us, if you ask more questions, more stuff will come up. But they, they were kind of the main things. Like, make it emotionally true. Make it um, 
come from the stories, make it additive to everyone's books. Um, yeah, I mean, like especially that last bit. It's like I will if I what events do I like tying into? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and of course, also my basic theory is always like I want all the stories to be additive. In other words, I don't want to force you to read anything. It's like like the more you read, the more stuff you'll see. Mm-hmm. But if you only read the minimum, you're sorted. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like events have gotten a little bit better about that over the last several years. Certainly, they've gotten a bad rap. I think because of some of the bloat, you know, and just the the recurrence of them. Um, but the ones that people enjoy, and I think Judgment Day has come out to pretty pretty positive acclaim, certainly is one that I enjoyed. Mm. Um, but it is like, okay, you have these tie-ins, but they're generally like they have a purpose and there's a story and the whole premise of Judgment Day with the progenitor coming and judging everyone. Um, yes, it's very Infinity Gauntlet-esque, like you say, but it's also got this almost Marvel's Busiak and Ross side of it where there's sort of a psychological very human response of just like all those little cutaways to just like the six people, just real people, different perspectives, different characters, right. And sort of their reflections on, Hey, this stuff's crazy. (laughs) This this big Avengers stuff, like, and just having real human reactions. That was always a nice, nice cutaway. Now, one thing as I was reading it, you know, about halfway through I was, and I love Jim Starlin. I mean, one of my favorite, if not my favorite Marvel comics creators, like of all time. Um, And I was like, Oh, Judgment Day is kind of like, what if Infinity Gauntlet, like, wasn't a coward? <laughs> like, what if it, <laughs> which I say very facetiously, but it's like, what if it didn't walk back, you know, Thanos snapping half the universe in half? Because it really felt like for a while, it was like, oh, we're doing this. We're really doing this. But of course, like, you have to put some toys back, right? You have to leave things better than you found them because you're going to play in the sandbox. And of course, other creators are. Knowing that that's how these things work, like, what was most important to you? Um, coming to the coming to a conclusion where you kind of know you have to reset the universe a little bit. I tell you, what, like that's my, that's obviously my choice. You know, like um, that's the story I I wanted to tell. Yeah. But the and what I find interesting about it is twofold. One, I'm going to write it with sincerity, as in you know the idea that oh no, these characters we know the Marvel universe will be set itself. The characters don't, uh-huh. and like I'm really kind of like and by trying to write that as hard as possible, hope people buy in because there's on some level that I think the people who got most out of Judgment Day are the people who kind of used it and think they started questioning their own lives, as in, you know what, what what would I do? I, you know what do I think of my life? Mm. If the world ended tomorrow, how would it be? And that was my intent. You know, very much the idea. In fact, even for the character universe. Judgment Day is a kind of a big thing. This is a bit, as Cap says at the end, this is a, a kind of a wake-up call. And the idea that it would happen in a day and, you know, we'd be judged enough. But, you know, on a variety of things, we as a species would be judged communally. I mean, I, I said, like, global warming was the main influence. But, you know, the idea that, yeah. you know, no, no, you never know if today's going to be the day we went too far. And there's no way back. That's the right. point. So, right. like, the, that, the kind of intent is, yeah, there's a reset, but it's, it's a device used to sharpen because that day will happen. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, the seeing the, the awful death of all these Marvel heroes are kind of like, is the buy-in there? See, what I mean, like, I don't, I don't blame anyone's cynicism in terms of the people who can't make that leap because that's fair enough. But at the same time, that's kind of also the buy-in. But like, obviously, the reset. Um, so one of my favorite video games of all time, Planescape Torment, and the best ending of Planescape Torment is basically you talk down the big baby, mm. and like. And that, that's the reason why I think the specials end up being quite important, because those three specials, which are, of course, big character profiles of them, but also, really, these are the three parts of the argument which are used to talk down the progenitor. Like, you could, you could skip them and go straight to it, and you'll get that scene. Mm-hmm. But the whole, the whole argument is being laid out intensively in those three issues. And, of course, they're spe- one of my old lines when I'm never doing a craft talk is space is meaning. Um, so three issues and really drilling into this. Is, these are 
ideas about what heroism means are important. So, you know, like, um, this is the first time, what is it? Who is the hero here? And yeah. that's kind of one of the... It, I found it's less meta than I think I, I, my stuff tends to be. But the whole... Um, there is an element of, like, what is what it means to be a hero in the Marvel Universe. Uh, and the, the progenitor's attempt to actually be that and live up to the the meaning of the Marvel Universe is the thing that means it has to sacrifice it has to sacrifice itself to try to make as much amends as it can for the sheer effing chaos it has caused. Yeah, I guess that's philosophically where we are. And as you say, it's very Marvel. I mean, you mentioned Marvels, which is that's definitely an influence. But like I always say, like my main thing about Marvel books are it, somebody is eating a slice of pizza and a Spider-Man flies past. The idea, like the grounding of the that's like the high-level weird stuff. Yeah. And then also the the utter like banality and when, well, not banality is the wrong word mundanity and that the juxtaposition of the two is the thrill of the Marvel universe for me. Yeah. Uh, and if you go like and obviously I like a lot of high cosmic books the same as anybody, but like that element and also another big obvious influence is the Galactus saga. You know mm-hmm. the first time Galactus arrives, let's really do Galactus. Right. <laughs> and the right. because before Galactus was like kind of toned down over the years because that's what happens to villains. Like yeah. let's let's try to write a celestial as petrifying and powerful as the Galactus was in that first story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of the point. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. know, and that comes back to my aesthetics. Anyway, I could talk forever. Oh no, no, it's perfect. I mean, yeah, it is funny, like the Galactus saga, I actually hadn't made that connection, but it makes so much sense where it's the same sort of thing, but you just have the years of learning and sort of the time and space to flush out, like Okay, now let's actually sit and reflect on this <laughs> for a moment, because Gal- in Galactus Saga, right, it's just so fast moving, right, and and it's mm. super like transformative for its time because you know it's like in basically like two full issues because it's like half one half um, on the three issues that it's in, but you know Kirby and Lee are moving fast and and breaking things mm. and and trying you know new stuff, um, but yeah, no, it, it those connections make a ton of sense. I I'm curious, so like you mentioned, sort of the the things that you're most invested in and the things that you focus on throughout your career. Um, you mentioned the meta aspects. Certainly I think there's like, there's a big metaphorical meta question here around just like, is humanity worth it? Like that sort of sense of like, is every, like, are we a net actually decent <laughs> or are we net horrible? And cause that's definitely something that I think the more time you spend online, especially like it's just creeping in more and more to my psychology of like, no, everyone's terrible all the time, and and you kind of have to have that that battle. Throughout your career, though, there are loads of stories too about like what makes a worthy god. Um, your work on Loki, Wickdiv certainly stand out. Uh, now we have a similar setup in Eternals with uh, Ajax story, right, and the way that that manifests by the end of this. I don't think I'm too curious in the why of this, right? I think that's pretty innately interesting to me. Um, just anyone who's ever had questions about religion, but like so much as okay writing the celestial, writing the godlike, how do you do that in ways that don't feel too human? Like, how do you, how do you get yourself in that mindset of, of doing that? Oh, like, that's complicated. So you said meta, it's like, definitely more, like, I definitely have themes, you know what I mean? Like, meta for me is when you're really talking about comics. Themes are much more like, you're talking about real shit. Yeah, yeah, like, sure. <laughs> you know, and that's, for me, that, that goes back to Stalin. Stalin is clearly wrestling with all manner of issues and thoughts about, like, everything. And for me, like, I'm, so, like, especially in the last couple of years, you can see the fact that I'm someone who's raised Catholic. And, like, really, I mean, <laughs> sure. Judgment Day is the most Catholic, hilariously Catholic crossover of all time. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but, like, also, as you say, it's like, are we are we worthwhile as a species? Or, you know, all that kind of stuff is absolutely key. And I completely lost what your question actually was. Well, in, in terms of, no, you're right. Like, I kind of combined two thoughts there. So, <laughs> totally fair. Um, in terms of writing 
the godlike. Oh god, yeah, yeah. The progenitor. So really this is something that was asked, but like in reality, it's like, no, I was writing a deeply flawed god. Like yeah, I yeah. was I was writing something which was fit the stru- you know, at the end he uses the uh, the theological argument of what is God, like a uh, all you know, all loving, all powerful, all knowing. They're, they're they're kind of the three things that make a god who at least in that bit of theology. Um and it's clear that he isn't. You know, like um you know, in him being brought up to believe he's a god is a mistake. And all of that, I said it, you know, he's Tony Stark, he's Ajax. He, you know, Mr. Sinister wasn't let near the controls, thankfully. But, you know, this is a god that's a bit like us. And its judgments are, I mean, I almost end up reverse engineering what his beliefs are. Because it's a lot of, because um, it, it really hates hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. It, it's, sorry, what, it, this, this is a little bit meta, and I only thought about this afterwards. It's a lot like... What happens if it made you God or made you think you were God and your random opinions about the Marvel Universe? Like, which characters do you hate for no reason? Um, that's a good question. Uh, maybe, like, for no reason. Uh, like, Doctor Strange. I'm just always kind of mad at Doctor Strange. Yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> so, so you, you, some characters you give, you know, as fans, some characters we give longer leashes to than others. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Emma, Emma Foss could set everyone on fire and I would still love her. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's other characters you go, no, they're dead to me if they, I don't know, don't get their beer money in or whatever. Yeah. Like, uh, so he's not quite that that churlish, but he's, so much, he's got an aesthetic. He likes certain things. So he likes people who aren't hypocrites, mostly. He likes people who will like achieve their goals. He likes people who are vaguely admirable, and, and that's the that's the weirdest one. Like he he didn't pass Shaw, you know, and that kind of like no, I'll pass Doom, but I won't pass Shaw. And yeah. that's that's one of those, you know, it's quirk, it's quirky. And obviously by the end, people go, no, he's just wrong. You know, Logan's like you passed me and failed Gene. F that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that that was much more like he's somebody who's thinking is God, but he's a very individual perspective he'll argue it he'll argue it like somebody on the message board oh my god here's the worst fucking map imagine if someone's made in charge of twitter and was all powerful and could turn it on and off <laughs> yeah right yeah and like, that's only just that's only just occurred to me now yeah yeah that's exactly it yeah yeah um, and anyway, there's more to it than that obviously ajax there's, there's some definitely like god's genuine kind of like god stuff in there but the, the fundamental cracked prism that mm. cracked eye which is the, that valeria's wonderful way of putting it mm-hmm. yeah that one is sorry, sorry. Last line would be, and it's also the the part of the fun is debating it. You know what I mean? Like this is this is his argument why like Daredevil fails or Captain America fails or Emma fails or why Doom passes. And fa- you know, I wanted fans to go, no way, f that guy. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> or, or not? Or actually, he's got a this guy's got a you know worst guy you know <laughs> makes a point. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. And that's part that's part of, for me the fun and the crossover. Like you don't have to agree with him. You just have to accept that you know. It's interesting drama for Captain America to deal with that, you yes. know, and then keep on going anyway. That's what makes Cap a hero. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was fun to watch like listeners and, and readers sort of try to like no prize their way to like the decision making process when when the there's also because there there was some logic to it right in terms of just like who's being true to mm. themselves and 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 not you know sort of sort of faking their way through it you know because you you know Cap has doubts but he doesn't express them right when he speaks so there's sort of a internal hypocrisy that goes on there and like you said it's interesting to wrestle with um but then at the same time it's also like yeah but he's a god made up of tony stark and ajak and whoever else and it's like you know it's he makes mistakes probably um i did like that i don't know how intentional this was or not but also the idea of like you know humans create gods and we create our visions of them and here we literally have a manifestation of that and of course it comes out a little wonky right like like things get lost in translation there's there's a very big maybe exploration of like how religions get made and the 
the human and the God versus the God and the human, and right? And that sort of back and forth. That's a really good point. And I don't think that's conscious, but I think that's 100% correct. Like, um, as in, like, the, it's an, you know, I'm an atheist. Despite, I was raised Catholic, but I'm an atheist. Yeah. There is a kind of, like, oh, no, we make this God. And, like, it's the odd, especially as somebody who was raised up Catholic and always, like, raised his eyebrows at stuff that was in my religion. As in, wait, 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 we, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. can anyone, can anyone pass this structure? Uh-huh. You know, if we're being completely, you know, and obviously capitalism is the great out of forgiveness, which is part of the, the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. Obviously, that's, um, it's a, here's a really quirky religion. And it's, it's Pascal's wager in that way, as in we, any religion being right is petrifying. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say that in the best possible way. Yeah, no, those those are the things that keep you up at night. Absolutely. Um, okay, so it, this is this is a very enjoyable crossover. Um, it is, I, I think, it's asking a lot of big questions. There's a lot to wrestle with, but then simultaneously, it is doing what Marvel events promise, which is okay. We're going to have significant changes. It's going to smash everything. Yeah, exactly. It's going to smash everything <laughs> together. There's going to be action. You know, it's doing all that big stuff, but it's also asking very human, very relatable questions, which I appreciate. Um, you mentioned in, in one of your newsletters recently that you actually saw some, and this was based on a, a really good essay we were able to run as part of our Who Watched the Watchmen series on CBH, um, on Peter Cannon. And you said reading that, you were actually seeing some some similarities in terms of what you were doing with Peter Cannon and with Judgment Day. Um, with Peter Cannon, for those who aren't familiar, it's highly, highly recommended read. Uh, it's yourself and Casper Wingard. Uh, it's a five-issue, I mean, super, super meta-commentary on <laughs> Watchmen and, and comics, right, and all that, and, and ways to move past the Watchmen legacy, I think, probably more importantly than anything, to grow comics. Um, what are those impulses that, that you saw there that you found yourself kind of bringing to Judgment Day? Like, how do you actually see that connective tissue? The thesis of, like, Peter Cannon, if I was going to send, boil it down, was the, um, I mean, it's several, it's, it's a really, it's a critical manifesto, bless it. But yeah. it's, it's not, it's, it's not less than moving past Watchmen, but the more that the point of Watchmen was to move past it. You know, Watchmen was this battle of clarion, hey, comics can do this, isn't that amazing? Yeah, and you know, and it was very much like marching into a battlefield, and rather than carrying on marching and exploring, there was definitely some creators who, okay, this is now the area, this is the terrain which we do. Um, but the thing that actually four, when you go to the Alec, whichever side of my, the Alec exactly Eddie time, Campbell, yeah. yeah, the Eddie Campbell issue, um, it's about the fundamental humanity of it. What's really important about is, and what I think occasionally is lost from superheroes in the last twenty years is the fact that. Um, the softness, the idea that what makes us human is most interesting, mm. you know, and that's kind of like, and this is really a crossover. It's all about the humanity, you know, also even with the, we've talked about the Greek chorus, the fact it's all about that, you know, this is really big, enormous special effects and like that, but it's all about the people, you know, at the heart, this is about, yeah. it's something that puts the humanity more important than the super. And that's what I think with Peter Cannon, that's in terms of like, let's, that's the bit I get as in, I want to re- radically recenter superhero comics to be about that stuff. Hmm. Um, which is weird because you can say something like when Immortal's interesting because Immortal is this crush this clash between um, uh, this glacial high level superhero politics book at the same time I'm absolutely making about them as character profiles like even in the issues which are more plotty it's about this is the characters are there and it's about them as people not just them as agents yeah like, and that's that, that is definitely where my head is my head is like, I would just very happily write character profiles, not mm. profiles, it's not even character, I mean like in a new, in a journalist sense, like a character, pro, I would love to like interview Emma Frost, you know, that kind of, let's mm. really get to know people. And that's what I think I meant by that in terms of something that radically senses the humanity. Um, 
that's yeah, interesting because that's because that's the structure of Immortal X Men, or at least as it as mm. it's presented, is each issue is like you said, it's this character study, right? It's it's we have twelve members of the Quiet Council, um, or I guess thirteen plus, right, with Doug and Krakoa. Uh, but it's, you know, each one is a character study. Yeah, I hadn't really connected those dots that it's mm. the purpose of that is is to focus on their humanity or inhumanity because we have Sinister involved, <laughs> right? <laughs> He's awful. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty terrible. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, no, that's, it, I guess that I hadn't connected those dots, but it is interesting to see like, okay, you come to that sort of thesis in Peter Cannon and now that definitely does seem to be reflected pretty strongly in your Marvel work, um, was that a part of why you wanted to like come back to Marvel? Not that you ever really left, you were doing Star Wars stuff, you know, and, and on top of the creator owned. Um, but was that kind of like, did you have a moment of like, I think I can do superhero comics better. Uh, I think I can actually do something different than what I did previously. I, I would, I don't think I phrased it to myself like that. Sure. The way I phrased it, I know, I know you may have to, you're close to it, but, um, it's that I did, I burnt out superhero comics, like, once I did Marvel stuff, it was I was writing like those last few Marvel projects and realizing, oh no, this Star Wars stuff is much easier and more fun, mm. and it's and it's much harder. And I'm one of these people who, um, if I'm aware that I'm getting bored of something, I get out quickly because I know that the work will get crap very quickly. Yeah. So like that's something I'm intellectually itchy feet like that. And Peter Cannon, when um, Dynamite asked me, I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then I'll it's have I got anything to say about superheroes? And and more, but do I like superheroes? Mm. Um, and Peter Cannon was me discovering my love for the form, loving superhero comics again. It's weird. I'd say it's such a meta cynical book, but it's kind of like, actually, no, I'm quite into this. Mm. Like, enjoy, you know, it's written, you know, you got to, Casper is astounding. You know what I mean? There's so much really good, like, genuine play. Yeah. And it's such a, and it's in the same way Peter, this is, you're aware that the bits of you go into the characters even without realizing. In some ways, Peter Cannon was me. You know, Peter Cannon mm. is the person who thinks it's slightly too good, slightly too good for the medium deliberately standoffish i know more than you mm. you know what i mean he's distinctly unlikable <laughs> and it's like and the, the whole kind of it's him falling in love with the story is it he's yeah. realizing he's got to be better to people around him but you know hit my work can be better i you know you you know it's more than just studying it's also invention and there's more stuff you just don't know yet mm. and it's but so it's, it's profoundly humble you know what i mean yeah. so that when you say i can do better it's not coming from a place of like oh i can do better <laughs> it's mm. much more from the fact that being better is the point as in you should try to be better mm. Less confidence, um, more goal oriented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think. I, like, yeah. And also, also, I, I think there's a tranquility to my return to Marvel. And it's not that I don't care, it's more that I don't care if anyone likes it or not. Mm. Sure. <laughs> like, I, I have no desire to win an Eisner anymore. You know? Yeah. Okay. Uh, like, and it's that kind of, I, I, I've been successful enough as a writer to, of um, course, like Die and Wicked and all that stuff really helps. As in, I've done basically everything I want to. I could stop now. And have a you know that's a perfectly great career. Yeah, uh, sure. and now it's much more like no, this is stuff that I think is fun, and I can do what I like doing and interest in new ways. But I don't need to worry too much about it because then I, I could just die tomorrow and it'll be fine. Mm. You know, I'll get pretty good bios. <laughs> so this sounds <laughs> you know. I, I've been talking to friends recently. It's very weird to be feel as calm as I do now about the work because I'm not a calm person, mm. and I'm, so it's partially because of that, or is it partially because you know having a kid changes a lot of things? Yeah, sure. You know, in a really most basic fundamental way. Um, I don't know. I'm still trying to work it through. And I'm also aware that me saying stuff like this feels like absolutely, you know, putting a kick me sign on my back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like hard cut to two years later, I'm like snorting cocaine off a Lamborghini and dying yeah, or yeah. something. Like, so I don't want to curse it like that. But at the moment, I'm pretty chill. And I know, and it's weird because I think the work's better than it's ever been, really. Yeah. Like, because um, so, that calmness helps. Um, 
Now, there's a chance that you're just exhausted from having the kid. <laughs> yeah, I'm delusional. That's the problem. <laughs> You've like, completely also, lost it, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned about judgment days. I wrote a crossover this year. I have no memory of this. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's so, I, like, that was incredibly, insanely difficult to do at the same time as the baby. And oh like, it was a lot. Yeah. So, like, I think the, um, so talking, the well, obviously it's really heavily thought out, like all my stuff is, but it's also straight from the gut. You know, it's, um, I saw one of my friends, Kieran Shack, uh, said, this is clearly a book written by uh, someone who's just become a father. Mm. You know, and, and he's mm. not wrong. You know, like, um, that's absolutely there. Yeah. And this is like, absolutely me. And I think COVID did as well. You go back to the fundamentals, like, why are we here? Are we good people or not? Sure. Is the world saving? Yeah. You know, um, you know, that's, and that, for me, that's good stuff. And that's what superheroes are good at. You know, that kind of really big emotional, putting human emotions on a, on a practic scale. That's oh, yeah. what I most about them. You know, that's why, God, I just realized the reason why I like, just Infinity Gauntlet, my tendency to center villains and make the story about them because they're normally the protagonist, it's absolutely judgment. It's absolutely um, Infinity Gauntlet too. Right. You know, that Thanos as villain protagonist. Anyway. Right. That's me just suddenly realizing something really obvious everyone must already know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did enjoy it. I did love the, the use of Thanos. I, it, for me, Thanos is such a, he's like one of the rarest sort of creator-owned, like he's a creator-owned character in a big two universe, and it's so strange. You don't get that very often. Um, but he's so Jim Starlin's thing that for years, I'm like, I, I feel very protective as a fan like, you know, like other, I'm like, oh, like only Starlin can write him like with very few exceptions. Um, so I feel like there's a higher bar to pass. Um, but certainly your Thanos in Eternals was one where I was like, I was very into it. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that connective tissue. It made the Eternals more interesting without sacrificing anything that made that character interesting, I thought, which right. is a, a challenge. Um, let's, let's cap kind of the, I have two final Judgment Day questions. Um, the first one is... The Eternals. You come in with with the amazing Isadorovich. Um, you relaunch Eternals. You do it, a phenomenal job, and I don't just say that to like you know blow blow smoke or whatever. But like, yeah, no, it's like that is such a hard franchise to because even the Kirby, it, that's one that I perpetually struggle with. Um, as mm. as far as like, I love the visuals, I love the ideas, I don't love reading it generally. It's been a franchise that a lot of writers have struggled with. Now it has an MCU presence, so it's kind of like, okay, can anyone do anything with this? And you find a way. But then simultaneously, now through the end of Judgment Day, you kind of throw a wrench in all of it again, right? Um, you talked about being additive. You talked about leaving things better than you found them. Um, or maybe I said that, not to put words in your mouth. How do you feel like you set up the Eternals for better better stories, a better future? I think I've created a really, I mean, I think the structure we've created with the Eternals is useful in that kind of like, for me, at the start, it was analyzing the Eternals. What they, they have a tragedy, which is like they're not Marvel characters because they're, but you know, they're a little bit. They weren't created to be Marvel characters, mm -hmm. but they uh, just don't have that fundamental uh, Uncle Ben. You know, they've got yeah. no Uncle Ben to be sad about. And so I gave him a really big Uncle Ben, the, the curse of immortality. Yeah. And, you know, there was something about shall I remove that at the end of Judgment Day, and it's like no, they need to feel guilty longer. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> yeah. if you, and if you remove, of course, and if you remove them, they still feel guilty. You know, the good one, actually, that, that's my favorite thing about it as a curse, is the good ones will feel bad about this, and the bad ones don't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's talk about a, like, a, something about marble heroism. So that's one thing yeah. I think is useful. And the other thing is, they're niche. Because the problem is, like, they're not gods. I mean, obviously, they've got the names of the gods, but the gods' roles are filled by the gods. Like you, We have you them, know, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, like, that's a job that's already been done. This is what I often say, that 
I've described like the problem of the major Marvel super, the major no, DC and Marvel, is that if I want to create a new character at DC, and I, want to, I, I think that the paragon of all that's good, and everyone on Earth loves them, and they're basically all heroes to look up to, you'll go, no, you can't make that character. That character's Superman. Mm-hmm. That that job is filled, yeah. and he's ne- Superman's never going to retire. It's basically like boomers in that kind of way. <laughs> you know, that, that's my kind of boomer analysis of super. And there's always with superhero universes, you're looking for niches because characters need to find places which no one else is filling. And that's where, where the Eternals is. I said this right at the beginning. They're the angels. In fact, they say that in like, mm. the first issue or the yep. second issue. Oh, they're the angels of the Marvel Universe. They are there as guardians. Except in reality, you realise, oh, no, they're not the angels. They're much more like the very worst idea what cops are. Mm. <laughs> they, they're really just, they're, you know, they're every single, like, that, that's what they are. So you end up mm. with a schism at the end between the kind of mainstream Eternals, who are a grey organisation at best. And that's useful for the Marvel Universe. Because the Marvel Universe needs interesting villains. Like, it don't have to be villains, but, you know, they could be good, they could be bad, but they're useful as an antagonist. That's yeah. something that's handy. Yeah. Uh, especially what introduced someone like Uranus, who's like a monster. Um, in fact, sorry, Uranus landing as well as he did, really, really was nice. Um, and the second part is you've got the good guys as these kind of, almost like, um, you know, the, nice, the old Incredible Hulk, Hulk uh, TV show, where yeah. they wander from town to town doing nice stuff, that. They're just the, the idea of that. Oh no, there's, these are literal gods dressed as humans, just doing stuff with no one knowing. Yeah, and, and it's penance. So the idea, oh no, these are actual heroes, and the world hates them because they're vampires as well. Uh, and and that's useful for you know if Marvel wants to do like story story those characters, that's a proper heroic setup with also not doing it something really happening because secret identities aren't really common anymore. So a lot, so high level, you know, all that kind of stuff is their own niche, mm-hmm. and that'd be a really interesting books if you want to do with that. But at the same time, as guest stars, that's great too. You know, they're they're also really good heroic characters to get in and get involved. Yeah, and you know what I mean. And that's that's what I felt. As a, you've got different flavors of Eternal here. Yeah, and you know, and a, as a minor thing, also, yeah, that that's my main thinking of that's why I think it's good. I like um, that. I like that. I mean, they they function fairly effectively as guest players um, throughout mm-hmm. their history. You know, this kind of became the role post Kirby, right? There's not a heck of a lot. I guess you have the Peter Gillis stuff in the eighties, but they don't have a heck of a lot of moments. Um, they become kind of these, these cameo all-stars, but I do think giving them this layer of guilt on top of that. And like, you know, Icarus in particular, like this character who's like, yeah, uh, I can't be as risky anymore. Cause if I die, human dies mm. and we never got rid of that. And plus two, I really liked the inversion of the way judgment day with the mutants are feared and hated, right? We all know that we all celebrate that as part of their, their narrative. The Eternals are the ones who are hated at the end of this, <laughs> right? It actually doesn't, like, it actually gets a little better for mutants um, as much as it can. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. final judgment. It's a, happy, it's a relative happy ending. It is. You know, it is, like, Genuinely, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they won. That's always, it turns out the problems of, like, events, just quickly throwing this in. Yeah. Like, trying to explain to me, this isn't a hero versus hero event. That's the heart, that, you know, because the, the problem with events is you're building on the expectations of all previous events. Yeah. And, like, even if you're good, like people only really, I thought like if it's no matter if I wrote the Watchmen events, I probably it won't really help my book. It will help the next event when people, oh no, events are okay again. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. You know, like you, you got to fight like inertia. Anyway, sorry, you're saying, boss. No, that's that's a great point. Um, I I so appreciated that it started out like okay, it's going to be Avengers versus Eternals versus X Men. It's an Eternals versus X Men war, and then within two issues, it was like no, that's not the story. Right, that that's too easy. Right, we we get a little bit of that, but then something else. Okay, the the real question though, the most important one here is, is Judgment Day you finally doing your Dazzler Big and Adelon pitch? It's um, close, isn't it? It's really close. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you if you haven't if you're on stream or you're listening to this later, 
just search for for Kieran's uh, Dazzler Big and Adelon pitch. It's out there. It's on your website. Um, it's a really fun read. It's a really close idea. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, did you get to do it? Was it was it in any way in the back of your mind that like, hey, this is kind of my Dazzler thing? It wasn't, but only in direct, like only after somebody linked to it. I think. Yeah. And, oh yeah, I get it. But the bit I saw earlier, and I should have realized this is I saw various people paraphrase. Okay, my favorite ones are people who paraphrase Judgment Day as basically a drag race, which is the okay. idea of like the idea of like the celestial RuPaul is a good That's idea. That's RuPaul, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the other one was the uh, Rick and Morty episode where the show is what you've got. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, with a giant head basically going to planets and asking him to play tunes. Yeah. Uh, and that's literally the same plot as obviously, no, no, joking, obviously, it's Judgment Day. And then, of course, that's actually the plot of Judge Big and Atlan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, space gods arrive demanding entertainment. The performance, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so it wasn't, but like, I like the clarity. I tell you, talk about other influences on like Judgment Day. Die. Die is absolutely like, you know, the Die is based around this, uh, my book for Image, but it's based around this sort of predatory weird god that's judging like and controlling reality and setting tests for people yeah and like that's very judgment day um at the same time also the fact the rules are very clear that's the thing about die is like the game especially everyone wants to go home they go home everyone wants to stay they stay and dead people don't get votes mm. and that immediately is, okay you get drama from that situation and so with judgment day is very best around the kind of like the the artificiality of it is the point as because artificial makes clean mm. like so this mixture between these very and the reason why artificial stuff becomes interesting is because the people are the random factor. Like, how all these characters respond to judgment is why it's fun. Mm. Uh, I would love to, uh, I was chatting to Al about when we first had the idea of Judgment Day, about Ben uh, Ben Grimm's uh, response. And it was one of those kind of, we just riffed out a Ben Green, Grimm scene between us. Yeah. And it's just funny because it's amazing, you know how they're, they're like, and one of the first things I wrote was the Doctor Doom scene and Do- Doctor Doom going, oh, okay. No. Like, both the text. <laughs> yeah. Both the test and then him walking away. And I was literally going to fail. I thought, actually, no, I think I kind of respect this. <laughs> right, yeah. So he's going to pass now, I guess. Yeah, that and was you know, so fun. That, oh, man. It's, that's really the, the fun of it, I guess, is part of the, you know, as apocalyptic as it is. Also, Daredevil crying as Jesus judges him. Which is like, <laughs> that's my Daredevil in a page. Yeah, yeah, right. The, your, your full Catholicism special, where it's no longer yeah, yeah. a metaphor. It's, it's actually happening for poor Matt. Um, okay. Another question, we're going to change gears a little bit here, um, and I appreciate everybody getting in the questions in the chat. We'll see if we have time for some of these uh, as we keep going. I do want to talk Immortal X-Men, of course, a little bit, and kind of where we're going in terms of Sins of Sinister. Obviously, you can't spoil anything, and I wouldn't want you to. But it, first, kind of big picture, you took over Uncanny X-Men, you know, over a decade ago now. Um, you know, you, you had your X-Men round. Not, yeah, right. <laughs> I was there for it, so, like, I'm, I'm there with you. Is it harder to be the face of a big two comics franchise now than it was then it sounds like you're more zen as a person probably where you are in your life but i'm kind of thinking like with the rise of just where pop culture is where superheroes are at with fan entitlement and sort of avenues for for coming at creators is it harder to be a big face of x-men than it was a decade ago good question i'm not sure thank you yeah. uh, it's it, i'm genuinely not sure as in um x-men fans had a reputation for being slightly feral even then yeah. but i've X-Men aren't, I say this kindly to all your X-Men readers, they aren't the most terrible fans I've dealt with in my time. Okay, that sounds <laughs> like a challenge. Con- I, yeah, I don't, I don't, like, there's some, I don't even want to mention it, because uh, I don't talk about the red natural horror stories, because it ends up elevating that conversation. Yeah. Um, but, like, the internet's much worse now than then. I'll never have my boundaries much better now than that. As in, like, I, the experiences of the last decade and change 
has taught me like no i just don't accept this i block very quickly i mute also very quickly yeah like um i, I try to stay off twitter now as much as i can um there's just less access to me maybe actually not, that's not quite true but i think there's less my heart to you access mm-hmm. uh, which is a bit depressing because it like it makes me depressing that i've got to have more defenses than i used to um but i think it's like it's I, mean, I think it's also mainly the, the, the Zen of it. As in, I'm not, you know, I haven't done many. I've done one con, like, uh, you know, all of Judgment Day and Immortal and Eternals. I've done zero cons apart from Fort Bubble last week. Okay. Yeah. You know, like, so I'm not, I'm just wandering around like my South London having food and just like shopping. <laughs> and it's like, oh, what X Men do I? Because I always remember like when I did it first time, I was um, in North London on the N91 night bus home writing out X Men plots in the back of a bus ticket. Uh, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure Chris Claremont never did this. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think so. But I don't think I'm quite. I think that's probably my choice to some sure. degree. Sure. Or maybe I've just been quite lucky. Like, occasionally I'm aware that I, I just dodge, dodge bullets fairly well. Yeah. And not deliberately, but like, you know. Well, it's good. I mean, that's good. I, th- I think it's. I say this to my wife all the time, but it's like, I cannot imagine having any kind of real profile and remaining accessible through social. Mm-hmm. So I'm always kind of, and it, it seems like more, more and more comics creators are kind of coming to a similar point. You know, they're, they're less available. Um, many of them were smart enough to leave Twitter and these, these sorts of places. I'm always impressed though, by like someone like yourself who like you remain and you, you have some yeah. accessibility um, and you're putting yourself out there. It's a dangerous thing. You know, it's a dangerous thing to put yourself out there. I think it's true. Like, uh, it's part of my background as a fanzine writer. I like contact. I like low stages. As, you know, high stages mean the audience and the creators is very distant. Yeah. Whilst low stages, like the punk rock shows, I like that ethically yeah. and emotionally. But at the same time, I'm also aware of the, the gruelingness of it. So I maybe I'm just better, you know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of it's also I'm addicted like, to the dopamine hits. I don't oh, think yeah. my use of Twitter is in any way good. Like me doing the, those incredible, terrible puns, what on earth? psychoanalyze me for that it's literally <laughs> like i'm writing jokes to make them slightly worse you know like it's not i'm trying to be funny I, i'm deliberately working quite hard to do the effect but also make it just wrong mm-hmm. you know it's almost like a canny valley comedy yeah why sure. am i doing this why am i doing this i, I like just because it's um it's open minutes that's the thing separating the self-justification of an addict <laughs> to from yeah. actually why the format's useful versus you know all these things intertwine that's I said this recently on Twitter, it's the, the best and worst social media of all time. Because it's, yeah. it's best, it's brilliant. You get to sort of um, see very different smart people respond to the world in real time. Yeah. And you get a very soft and gentle understanding of how people see things. And of course, and that's because of the fluidity of the medium and yada, yada, yada. And of course, the problem is that means you get the, the swarming behaviours. The fact it's so fluid is why it's going to die because it just our human brains can't handle it, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, we could go for Twitter probably way too long, <laughs> especially right really now can. with all of the, yeah. the turnover and all that craziness. It is one of those things where it's like, if it went away, we'd all be happier, but there'd also be all these things that I genuinely missed <laughs> in terms of like connecting with community and comics. And, and like you just said, like all the perspectives that I've picked up from Twitter that I would not have been exposed to um, that have actually enriched my life in some way, you know, and it's, but there's so much bad <laughs> with all that. Yeah. I think it's worth it. I think if Twitter went down, we'd find a way. And people find it use, more useful tools to do what they need to. Yeah. And I think that Twitter's power is it kind of has tricked us to think that was the only because it's been what it has for so long. Right. But I, I genuinely I know what you mean because I I I think 
I mean, obviously, Brian K. Vaughan or Ennis don't, doesn't need Twitter. Yeah, you know, right. you know, but like for a new creator who are hustling, that Twitter is a really good medium. But like, yeah, we that's how I find where... folks to talk to is the thing yeah. too. You know, it's, it's cool. messaging. It, it reminds me of um, Radiohead uh, in Rainbows, where it was mm. kind of that moment of like, oh, you can just do paint what you want. It's like, well, Radiohead can do that. <laughs> They're Radiohead. You know, it's not the same for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I genuinely, I remember I did my hustling on other formats before Twitter. You know, I got together with, you know what I mean? Like, it was obviously yeah. web forum stuff back in the day, but people just got found the right web forum. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and that obviously, I don't think we should go back to that particular model, but like, especially because I think Discords are slightly harder to find, but that might just be my age. Um, I, I have the same experience. Yeah. No, it's yeah. It, stuff like that feels more natural to some folks. Yeah. All right. Let, let's bring it back to, to Immortal for a second. Um, Mr. Sinister, major player in Mortal X-Men, right? He's sort of driving narrative here. There might be some mild spoilers here for Mortal X-Men, kind of where things are going with Sins of Sinister. So if you're not caught up there, I just want to give you a warning. Um, combo, combo crossover question here. Does Immortal, um, what's the difference between, or let's phrase it this way. Who is Mr. Sinister closer to? Woden or Ananke from Wiktiv? Ooh. <laughs> I can't tell you that. That's a spoiler question. Okay. Okay. That's a that's a fundamental spoiler question. Because yeah. it's one of the things like because uh, Woden's the person who's the the player, uh, who thinks he's a player, but it's actually the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and and Anx, actually, Anank's also the player who thinks they're the game. That's the it, it's player game all the way down. Because you know, Anank's being played by um, the, uh, Demeter is what she's called, but we never give her a name in the comic. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay, we'll save that one. I th- I think he's close. I mean, like. If, if just keep it straight to personality rather than plot role, sure. I think he's closer to uh, Woden because part. I was just doing an interview right at the beginning of um, Immortal, and um, Chrissy, my wife, was a uh, and writer of Golden Rage, available now from Image Comics. Kids, yeah, uh, <laughs> was walking past and listening to me talk about like the, the joy of seeing Sinister fail. You know what I mean? Like in that yeah. issue one is, um, it's, it's oh, it's just Fraser, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, so she's right. It's um, Mr. Sinister is this incredibly intellectual blowhard. And the fun is thinking he's doing so well and then something goes terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you, like, and you get a taste of that in that first issue when, like, oh, no, he's got this amazing system for controlling time and space and he knows everything. And then Destiny, you know, Destiny is just like, and then just the page of him panicking. And that, yeah. to me, it's like, I'm almost making the promise early on in terms of, oh, no, this is a story, you know? Right. Like, no matter how good it goes for him, something will bite it. It's almost yeah, I mentioned Thanos earlier as the protagonist. Thanos is the way he was written by Starman is, you know, his internal weaknesses are what means he, he thinks he's not worthy of that time, yada, yada, yada. Um, and that's quite a, a tragic thing. And Sinister's Flaw is much more um, laughable. And I mean that, I don't mean that it's comedy, I mean it's like um, pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> I say like I think yeah. in, in, in his heart of hearts, Sinister is like a void, and it's like uh, this echoing void going all the way down. Mm. And I've tried to like beneath all the jokes, I've tried to reestablish that you know it's a mask. You know, like uh, there's nothing beneath that mask. Um, it sounds that, like you you feel like, and, and tell me if I'm I'm off base here. Um, it sounds like you've you're a little weary of having made the character too fun, <laughs> because I think I think a lot of folks right now are so celebratory of the camp aspects and Zeb Wells work, right. And Hellions where this character is a delight. So They're so, so good. funny. So good. Yeah. Um, but then you're, you several times this interview and I've, I've heard you in the past mention too, like, Hey, Sinister is terrible. <laughs> like we have to remember this. Uh, does that feel like a problem to you? A little bit. Like, um, 
I mean, not to forget for that Zeb killed and all the all the sort of sinners has been great. Oh yeah. But like, if you go back to especially the stuff I was doing early on, oh yeah, he was still he was funny and uncanny, but at the same time, just really creepy. That he's got creepy stuff all the time. Yeah. And that's the kind of like that's what I like, and that kind of the mixture between oh no. I think also the I mean, look, we just said Boris Johnson, the idea of this prime minister, and I think if you know he's a funny guy, that's why people voted for him. Mm. And I find myself thinking if Hitler genuinely came back today, he'd be a comedian. Mm. You know, like because that's the stuff that plays well on social media. Like even and like Trump, like Trump, Trump's like entertaining. Can't, and, can't and you that take a joke? Like, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. That, that stuff and sinister's that. And in some ways, like I, I want there's slightly the meta question of, um how much you buy in this, especially because I've really established the fact that it's, this is a tactic and he could change the tactic by injecting something else in his neck the other day. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of like, beware. I mean, we did this in Wicked quite a lot. As in, the characters Amaterasu and uh, Cassandra were kind of meant to be like mirrors. As in, Amaterasu was very nice, but fundamentally bad. <laughs> While so Cassandra was fundamentally mean, but mainly right. And that's the kind of like, Cassandra pushed you away. And, yeah. But you know, that kind of, and this is one of these things that you're trying to separate I mean, not quite the tone policing conversation, but kind of in that area, as in yeah. trying to separate form from content. Sure. Um, but it's also he's a villain. And like, you kind of want to, like, being hanging around with the villain is uh, not hanging around, but like, you're allowed to enjoy it because it's fiction, as mm-hmm. the way I put it. Like, I, I definitely like, would like more of the creepiness there, mm. but I definitely would, but the, 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 you know, the sinister bit, but I think enjoying him is also allowed <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh yeah. Yeah, yeah well i guess there's some some question to that because of the character's history right and the, the yeah, element, yeah. i mean let's just like he's he works with the nazis in marvel continuity so there's there's an immediate did he can exactly right yeah like, right I, I, I say that solely as a, there's literally a country you know we, we obviously the latest issue we've um i've established our, our sinister wasn't wasn't in nazi germany yeah like you know and that, that's always been true he's always been in two places at once in that period. Yeah. Um, and I, if anyone's interested about this, because it's really, really hard and messy, uh, the, I did a Cerebro co- uh, podcast with uh, Connor. Yeah. Uh, and we, we did miss it. We talked a lot about this. And yeah. like, this is something I like at length, but it's one of those kind of like, yeah, I can't even paraphrase the, the whole conversation, but oh, I'm no. not going there in that way. As in, like, I am sympathetic to that, to people going, what about that? Yeah, and that's course, on. Oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. But it's one of things like that. Uh, those in the Marvel countries, those stories, it's weird because they've never been referenced outside of their own stories. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, so it's like one of these things that it's, I think it's one of the things like if you study comics culture now, post Wikipedia and post podcasts like actually Three Bro and Jay Mark, uh, um, um, yeah, yeah explain the experiments on my brain's gone blank. Jay Miles, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's an awareness of like conversations about comics of comics people not have read. You know yeah, what I mean? So right. people aren't even necessarily reading the comics, but oh. they're reading the Wikipedia summary. Yeah, yeah, right. And that, and especially because that, and if you read Wikipedia summaries, you're not actually getting what's important about the characters, as in what's being told stories about repeatedly. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's a bit like that. comics YouTube culture. I mean, that's a huge yeah, thing right yeah. now, is you absorb these stories through someone telling you what happened in the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is not the same thing. And, this, and they're just, and the Wikipedia are just mainly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, actually, I'm lying. They're not mainly wrong, regularly wrong. You, you <laughs> often get. Things a direction to the issues that stuff happens, which is useful. I find personally, um, I, I, I use, I use it too. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Go, let's go. Let's actually read it. And at least part of my job is like, really, okay, what really, what is a way of reading this other than, 
you know, what's actually on the page and what else can we take from this? Yeah. And that's been the fun of it. Like, obviously, Immortals got a lot of like time travel, um, not time travel, time jumping period stuff. And it's me going, okay, let's really dig into these issues and what could tie this all together. Sure. Which is obviously what John did enormously with his run. Right. Um, and that's fun. You know, it's like being it's like being a conspiracy theorist. In right. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like it's that detective work. It's 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 a blast, to, especially something like Sinister, where it's like. Okay, this stuff was sprinkled across all these various like weird <laughs> like places, mostly by Fabian Nicieza in the 1990s. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the worst thing is the most of the issue, you know, the issues I'm riffing off recently um, aren't on. I don't think they're on Marvel Unlimited, which is crazy, so, right? That yeah, 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 that you actually can't read the homework. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> it's like it's like I saw several reviews of the latest issue, thinking I was making stuff up, but no, no, this is all this is all already established. Yeah, right? yeah. This ain't me. <laughs> right, yeah, the Black Womb stuff. Um, you can mm-hmm. you can read, people can check out the, the Mike Carey X-Men Legacy if you haven't read that before. That's a really good story. Um, That's right. And, and you referenced there, you know, you have a conversation. I think it's the second half of it on Cerebro with Connor Goldsmith. And Connor Goldsmith is is a Jewish podcaster, so he has a really interesting perspective, I think, mm-hmm. on on the particular Nazism, frankly, of Sinister and the eugenics and yeah. all of that mess, which is absolutely mess. Um, but But you have an interesting approach to kind of not have that be the focus, certainly, because like you said, like there are comics that are, it, it's one of those pieces of continuity that I think if there wasn't this culture of, hey, by the way, this thing happened and it, it, that becomes a headline, um, like this would be continuity that I think was, would be roundly ignored. It's not a f- central tenet of this character. It kind of misses the point, in my view. Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely, there's, I mean, not to go too far, there's all sorts of reasons why I think it was a bad idea for Sinister. And I think partially the fact it makes it easier to dismiss him. Mm. Like I think, I think it's a bad idea because um, actually I've every sympathy for the it makes some. I dislike the fact it implies Mengel was right. Oh, because he's his um, because he's his partner, work. he's his assistant. So, and, uh, yeah, Mengel was like his his science was fundamentally broken. It was really bad. It was monstrously ethical, but also really bad science. There was nothing there. Yeah. So like I dislike there's, there's that I find more. That's kind of why I would like to remove because if this is genuinely a genius, you can't have him working with the Nazis. Mm. Because they, they, you know, they were fucking idiots. Um, anyway, <laughs> it gives them, it gives them credibility. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's bonkers. Um, okay, yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Uh, a question here that, if it's spoilery, let's move on. But I, I don't know that it will be. Does Immortal X Men, do the final three issues of your run? Because you talked about it as a twelve issue run with you know a focus on each character of the Quiet Council. Is Immortal X Men the the end of that, uh, or no, is it coming I back? To stress, when I said it was twelve, it's never. It's not twelve issue run. It's uh, oh, like okay. It's the, the first twelve issues were retained between the council. It's what it's specifically what I say. Okay. Uh, so okay. like, no, no, uh, like immortal is carrying on, uh, and I'll work out what, what to do when I hit the next issue. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, these are actually additional. Uh, so numbers will be coming back after uh, since the sinister with a mortal uh, like a mortal eleven probably, uh, and finishing off the council because okay. <laughs> we've got you know we 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 still got like um. Uh, Storm and Colossus to do, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, then and Doug, I, I, actually, probably. Well, that's what I was wondering. Okay, because I was like, I, it'd be so tricky to do the Sins of Sinister event and have, like, issue 11 be the Colossus issue or something. You know, I was like, how is that even possible? That's not the plan. Got it. No, in some ways, it's really lucky the fact we renamed it for exactly that reason. Like, you know, um, I think it's like, I, I don't want to get into too much how the sausage is made, but I planned it for 12 issues, and then, of course, the way the timeline works is, oh no, it's 10 issues and okay, I've got to do this. And I've, I mentioned recently in an interview, I dropped two arcs because of Judgment Day and, and various other things. Mm. And those those arcs are just gone now. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not, I mean, they're, they're good stuff, but you know, they're, they're just stuff I was interested in exploring. Um, so like, we'll do a mobile and then we'll come back and, you know, and it, 
the great thing about Sinister Sinister is, and this is one of the things we work quite hard on, but it's an alternate, not alternate, it's a future story. It's the best, that's not the way of putting it either. I don't want to say much about it, but it's like Marvel Universe. Well, it's a Powers of Ten riff, right? In yeah, the promo, yeah, we know it's of, 10 years future, 100 years future, 1,000 years future. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But one of the things, trying to get stuff that influences the present. That's the kind of thing. It's not, you know, it's not just a happy little bottle universe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is, you know, this is, in fact, trust me, there's nothing happy about it. Um, the ways it changes the state of quo as we go back to Immortal 11 and uh, Red and all that is joyous. As I'm really, like, I've just started writing the um, 11 of Immortal and it's just like, it's probably Storm's issue. I don't want to, like, I can't say anything about it, but like Storm as the focus is like, Ah, yeah. <laughs> what, what on earth were you doing? <laughs> so um, amazing! I, 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 I'm yeah, so excited. I'm so excited for this event. I'm so excited for the. I did my so I have a road to sins of sinister video coming up tomorrow on the on the channel, and so I've I've been doing a deep dive and kind of the build on this character and the stuff you've been doing most recently in Mortal Kombat number eight. Um, but when I got to the end of it, I was like, I have no idea what because we know what's coming back that's how these things work we know we're going to be in the present again i have no idea what that's going to look like and that's very very exciting like it's going to be um it, it's something massive has to happen in regard to all these sinister plans and him having done this uh but then we also have to come back because we got fall x coming later and like we know the comics are going to continue so i'm very excited about that yeah it's fun also like i think it's really me alan say i think it's really tricky because we keep on making a lot of jokes about it because there's, there's a lot of funny it's a very like bleak funny dark future of this this timeline but um at some time we don't want to say how it happens like we're oh, yeah. really jealous we're jealously guarding the inciting incident yeah up to the level of like you know um, i don't want to say the stuff we're doing to try to guard it and of course it makes it really hard to actually pitch it <laughs> the same way like judgment day like we couldn't talk about oh it's about literally a judgment day it's last year without spoiling issue like the first two issues or whatever right so right. you really want to try to save as much for readers to enjoy as they hit it and like i, I do think like when you hit Nine and ten of Immortal are kind of just this absolute setup for everything. And people will probably start seeing what's happening at some point, probably at the end of ten. Sure. Um, but it's fun. You know, I mean, it's, it's just it's a roller coaster, isn't that way? It's really kind of got a lot of energy between all the all the books we've been doing. Nice. Yeah. Nice. No, very cool. How how long do you see yourself uh, staying with X-Men? Do you have a plan? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I've, I've said it, you know, I've I told you it's not Immortals in twelve issues. So that's that's one. We know that, right? Yeah. Um, a while, like you know, uh, I think I'm somebody who writes towards an ending. Like there's people who write indefinitely, but like I always broadly have a sense of how long I'll be on for a book because I'm always trying to finish a story. And that's the kind of like um, my sense. So I could see the end, but that that I could see the end of, but I could see the end of Wicked from the start of Wicked. <laughs> that I could see the end doesn't mean it's soon, but I do know. I tell you, it's like. I do get the feeling like after Immortal, I'll be out of Marvel for a while. Like I've just think like I've, I've been starting writing some more of the higher stuff again. Yeah. Not with the opposite, right around as I'm sort of developing okay. some more ideas, and they seem really exciting and, and like key. So I'm like, oh no, this might be it for a while. But I've you know not in a bad way, in a kind of like, oh this this can be really fun. Yeah, I tell you, it's like especially with the where Fall of X leads uh, is really interesting. Like um, I'll say this really. The largest structure of the story that John set in motion, I find, is like I wanted to play the, the part of where it went next. And that's kind of like I felt like when I came on Immortal, it's like I want to pick up this stuff and take it where it's going. Mm -hmm. and, you know, not by myself, obviously, as part of the office. Right. And the kind of the um, we're very aware of the machinery of everything pulling together now. And that's I think as in like 
there's a lot of the sense of like, okay, let, I guess it, I suppose it's a really interesting metaphor for the emergence of the AI of it, as in the machine is forming mm. and, these, and these clockwork minds will crush us System. all. System. Yeah. 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 Okay. Very cool. No, that's, that's promising. That's exciting. Uh, when, when can we expect Dan Mora and Tamara Bonvillain in the X office? Can you bring, now that they're off uh, the, the newly completed once in future, can we get that amazing Lancelot design? <laughs> oh my God. I was going to be so good. Like, I think Dan is exclusive of DC apart from Loki. I wondered. Uh, I wondered. Yeah. 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 I think he is, which is, not, which is A, annoying, B, annoying. Also, C, <laughs> annoying. Uh, he's just, I tell you, seeing uh, Dan do as well as he has, like, just, because he's one of, like, we had 30 issues of Once a Future. And that's like the, the longest single one of a single artist I've had on a Cray Around book. Yeah, no villains at all. Yeah. 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 Like, um, I've been incredibly lucky because I think he's like one of the definitive um, action storytellers. The thing about Dan is he's someone who clearly loves drawing. Like, you see that McCartney Superman cover recently that yeah. just went on. Yeah. yeah. So good. I mean, clearly it's overflowing with joy. Right. And like, um, like, that's what I love about Dan. He's just clearly. Um, clearly having the time of his life and when the writing wants the future it's always okay what can i throw in this issue they'll make daniel laugh or enjoy or mm. go okay now i've got to make this up and that was kind of the um that's the the kinetic energy of him yeah, yeah I, I love him to death but he would be he would make an amazing like ex-office writer because he's yes. got that kind of like both glam and he wrote very good looking men you know that's the you know, <laughs> yeah. good you know he's just great beefcake uh, like you know, there's a lot of really good stuff there. The X the X fans, I think, would would absolutely eat it up. Um, there's <laughs> yeah, there's the chance to go read Once in Future, right? There's nothing stopping you from doing that. So if you yeah. <laughs> if you want what Kieran's describing, you could carry me up. Me and Luke is having naked men every episode, which is a basic. <laughs> I swear I didn't plan it. But there's a lot of naked dudes in this book. <laughs> well, there's definitely an audience for that uh, in in X Men fandom and elsewhere. Um, with Once in Future, you know, I'm I'm curious. I, I mentioned I just finished this like this morning. Um, there's so much, first off, I really enjoy this book. Um, I, I think a lot of folks should check it out. It's, it's all this exploration of, of British specifically mythology, right? King Arthur we got, but then you insert, like every, every issue had a new drop. Like every, like it felt like every final page was like in this myth, in this myth. And I was just like, oh, okay. Like this is going to go forever. This is so fun. Um, w with all of that stuff, do you find yourself wanting to do more with like Otherworld? Because Chris Claremont wove in so much <laughs> of that it's sort of a, a an idea of that do you feel like or would that be crossing streams too much a bit i must admit it's like i i stay away from conversations about other world in the x office yeah especially when i was writing once the future partially because you are getting close to some of the stuff i'm doing okay. not in the same way and so mantini has deliberately not read any of once the future and like you know i look you know and i picked I, i've been reading her stuff because obviously i'm way ahead of her so i could whilst teeny of course is um uh crazy their, their own like really has like recreated other world in, in her image like she's kind of created this functional beautiful yes. fantasy kingdom i think it's a fascinating piece of world building um and i would feel bad at messing around with it almost because <laughs> i'm clearly i've somebody's written up a world before in marvel you know i did journey to mysteries uh, manchester gods um yes. so like, i think i would just ruin uh teeny's other world if i played with it yeah <laughs> and feel yeah. guilty too conflicting Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, that, that's but also a... like, but do you think of a world in like what's the future? Like, sorry, if we have, obviously where we leave what's the future, there's room for a sequel. Sure. Like so, like there's and there's a lot of myths left. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Sure. Okay. Cool. No, it's a great thirty issues. I highly recommend people check it out if there be more. Cool. We got a question here from Sean in the chat. We got a lot of questions coming in here. So thanks everybody. I did want to ask Sean Dylan's question here, editor for CBH. Kieran, did you pass God's test? Did you pass the progenitor's test in your mind? If not, why? Sean wonders. Well, 
Well, I have to check what the Metacritic rating is on all the issues, and that'll tell me <laughs> if I pass or fail, purely objectively. Yeah, yeah, just like any good album, right? If it's if it's eighty or above, <laughs> that's we're the, that's, I don't make the rules. <laughs> speaking of speaking of, what's your what's your favorite album this year? Oh, you got any favorites? Too, um, too early to tell. I haven't ranked any of mine. I, I've just got kind of a list of like some of my faves, but not ranked yet. I'll tell you, I've just genu- genuinely, my brain has gone. I can't think of any records that came out this right. year. Now it's, so now just, it's like, like Velvet Underground is the only thing I can think of. <laughs> yeah, it's um, especially because like this year, of course, having a kid like oh. breaks everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've just gone for my like stored list of stuff to see if there's anything I actually uh, came out this year. I immediately get the album I got obsessed by. I can't find anything that I got obsessed by here. Okay. Oh okay. Oh, was wet leg this year? Yeah, it's, uh, well, like was, I think that I think that's gonna count. I think because the single I think came out last year, so I, I think that's gonna play this year. Yeah, yeah. And my sing- I like, oh, I got them on my singles of the year last year, so that's the reason why I don't really count them as this year. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Sorry, I'll, I'll I'll tweet my actual answer. Black <laughs> okay. Country New Road has a new album that was pretty good. Um, Which one? Uh, uh, Black Country New Road uh, gotcha. did their second album that yep. was good. Um, I genuinely. <laughs> what I think is the Northern Boys singles. <laughs> okay. Have you been listening to Northern Boys? I haven't, no. Northern Boys Party Time is like like two late middle-aged uh, British men uh, rapping pretty acceptably over like random tracks and talking about how depressing and sad their lives are in incredibly scatological terms. Like, <laughs> okay. very funny, very like, very bleak. Um, hell, hell of a thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, that's all I've like. I genuinely will have to come back to see which is my best album. I like the Ezra Thurman, but I always like Ezra Thurman. I, uh, I listened to that recently. I always like Ezra Thurman as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, let's let's move it then because that's that was totally putting you on the spot. Should have should have prepped you to bring a top ten list. That's on me. Um, yeah. If Marvel, this is a listener question here. If Marvel asked you if you had a Miracle Man pitch, would you do it? No. No. <laughs> it's like I, I, I thought that'd be the answer. Honestly, yeah. It's like I must say, it's not it's not like Watchmen, which I won't do for ethical reasons. Uh, but um, it's because obviously Alan sold on the rights, and it's you know Gaiman picked it up. I like I reckon I would have to see where, where Gaiman left the story in yeah. reality, in that kind of like, hey Kieran, do you want to do this? And in some ways, I would like I would have to want Gaiman to ask me. Mm. <laughs> the same way Alan got, you know Alan asked Gaiman, you'd have to you'd a direct to talk, handover kind of hey, thing. Hey, I want to see what you got to do. Yeah. Um, but I would have no idea if I want to do it until I see what he'd done, where he'd left it. Because I'd also would, you know, you don't want to just lift Miracle Man and use him elsewhere. Unless, I guess I say that, I've no idea what, <laughs> hard cut to someone else doing exactly that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, like, it's a piece of literature. So it's like, um, it's not just a comic book series. It's mm. like, what is the literary use of Miracle Man after the end where Gaiman leaves him? Which we just don't know. That's, that's interesting. My, and that's happening right yeah. now. Right, that's happening right now. So yeah, I'm excited. Right. I, haven't read it, I haven't read any of the new issues yet, but I'm really excited to see how it goes. I'm yeah. super curious. Yeah, I'm, I'm super curious as well. I think that'll be fun to, to see what progress we can do. Um, we got a question here from uh, Illy Thidlor. <laughs> Was it ever considered to bring Apocalypse into the Judgment Day event, given his history with Celestials Eternals. Kieran, this was something that I was teasing and predicting left and right, so I was definitely disappointed that I was... Not that you didn't do it, but just that I was wrong. <laughs> um, was it considered? Uh, it's obviously something that was talked about, but no, we have other plans. You know what I mean? I think that's the best way of putting it. We had other plans, and yeah, it was yeah. uh, too, too early for them. Yeah. In other words, 
it, what we have planned for Apocalypse is better than Apocalypse being in Judgment Day. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Big Daddy A still out there. We're, we're going to see yeah. him again. Uh, it's just a matter of where. Uh, oh, okay. Sean asks here, have you read the Alan Moore, What We Can Know About Thunder Man? Have you, have you have, read this? You don't just read it. You feel it. Yeah. It, 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 I actually finished it like a couple of nights ago. Yeah. Uh, it's delight, And it's, like, it's, what's the word? It's ab- absolutely wicked. Yes. I think I actually tweeted about it a couple of days ago. Did so you? people go to my tw- tweet stream. I did a tweet. It's just like, see, I think I said something like, seeing comics greatest, uh, seeing the greatest writer the medium has ever seen set fire to the industry, uh, you know, and having too much fun doing it. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, uh, and cackling. It's like a 200-page cackle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, and the swim, I don't want to spoil it, spoiler it, but the sw- uh, the swimming sequence, I think, yes. is when I first oh my gosh. Like, oh my God, like the imagery. So darkly uh, humorous. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That sequence is incredibly memorable. <laughs> yeah. But there's bits of genuine poignancy in there as well. There's like, there's genuinely some bits which are just sad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's weird. I found myself, the more I went into it, the more for actual Watchmen. Like the idea of um, like the structuring of that seems quite, you know, in terms of the, the dovetailing through time and space. Uh, I suppose it's a bit pinching me as well. But anyway, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and it's great, to, you know, it's great to see Alan just having a lot of fun, really. And also, like, I admire the fact he buried this literal novella in the middle of a short story collection. Because it's almost like he didn't he didn't want the attention, despite wanting to release it. Yes, it felt very, <laughs> very Alan Moore in that you easily could have just released Here's yeah. Alan Moore's book about the comics industry, right? And that yeah, probably it's, it's two, is its own 200, thing. 200 pages, that's the book. Yeah, it's know. massive. Yeah, it's massive. It's in this. So it's for those who don't know, it's Alan Moore's uh, collection of short stories. It's called Illuminations. Uh, there's a story in the center of it, the novella. I mean, it's 200 pages. Um, what we can know about Thunderman, And it is it is a comprehensive comic book history, like of the entire industry. It is sometimes it's like a, almost like a direct history of the medium, but with the names changed. You know, so the example I keep giving is like Fing, Fin Fang Foom is like dumb dang doom or something, right? It's like, it's super close. You can tell what all the pieces are. You can tell who some of the players are. Um, but then, like you said, like the sequence where he's describing like being a kid. I don't think that's true. I, I don't think the swimming sequence is true. <laughs> yeah, right. There's there's probably some fictionalized element. Um, the, the sequence where he's describing being a kid and getting into comics was like so sweet and so connective and so heartbreaking in some ways too you know because you can tell like oh like i think one thing that's always interesting to me is somebody who doesn't know him you've spoken to him you know him um is like he was or is such a big fan of comics like this is a person who loved Mm. comic books um and he gets a reputation i think a lot of times as hates comics and you know he's so cynical and, and this and that but it's like no like like this person wrote 1963. Like it's a love letter to Kirby and, and Jack, you know, Marvel Universe comics. You know all this. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fascinating read. It, it definitely is. Comics will break your heart, as people keep on saying. That's the <laughs> one. Know, and Alan definitely includes that, I think. Yeah, that is definitely the one. Um, okay, let's see. Um, we got some questions here. I think anything that's kind of spoilery, I'm definitely going to want to avoid. Um, I can dodge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's that too. Uh, let's see. Um, in terms of characters that you haven't got, that you haven't touched yet, uh, what Marvel characters do you think you'd be most interested? Like, do you have any, I guess let's ask it this way. Cause you, we don't know what you, what you're going to write. Maybe one day you'll want to come back to them. Are there any that you haven't played with a ton that are like personal favorites? Um, or are there any, are there any that you like so much that you wouldn't want to write? That's a good, like what I, when my standard, my standard answer, my standard answer to this is a bit boring because I don't talk about, 
I don't have designs on books I don't not write and I haven't been asked to write. Yeah. Because for multiple reasons, like um and one is I don't like because if I say that my brain starts working on that plot and I don't like thinking about stuff I don't own. Mm-hmm. As in like it's not my choice where I can write a character or not. And two, if I say publicly that I really want to write X character and someone else is writing that character and the editor would fix, oh Kieran's better than this person, let's get them. Mm-hmm. I get someone else fired. <laughs> so yeah. you know, me me wishing idly isn't idle wishing. <laughs> um so Honestly, if you say Spider-Man, somebody's going to run that as a headline. <laughs> like we can't. You know what I mean? like, yeah, <laughs> we can't. I'll, I'll, I'll say one. Uh, I've, got, I've got a list of cats I love, and I've sort of ticked off at least writing for a panel. Okay. <laughs> like, like, um, sorry, like Daredevil's an example of character I genuinely love, but I think I would be terrible at writing. Mm. And I don't think it's. I wouldn't be good enough. I just don't think it fits my brain. Like mm. I'm not a crime writer, but Daredevil I adore. Um, like, and Chip's killing it. Um, oh yeah. But like J. J. Uh, J- Jameson. Uh, Jameson. Uh, like he's a character I love, and I got I've got a scene with him in The Sins of Sinister. Okay, <laughs> so amazing. I ticked him off, ticked him off the list. Yeah, <laughs> it's that kind of like. There's a bit like, can you get people just for a panel? Because it becomes much more about your own kind of list of stuff. You sort of see it. I did that siege uh, miniseries on the web when I was just coming out of Marvel the first time, the Marvel Universe stuff, and that definitely has some characters I love. Like Thanos is in it, uh, Kang is in it, mm-hmm. and like they're in it. But it's my chance that I'm going to grab some people I genuinely dig. Because it's my last show. I may never write for Marvel again. So I've got Kang and Fainos off my list then. Fun. Uh, Fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, okay. We're, we've got you a little bit over time here. So, all right, everybody, get in your final questions. If there's a final one, I will I will try to tackle that. But I do have one last question for you in terms of where Immortal X-Men is going, where Sins of Sinister is going and all this. Um, clones obviously have a, a challenge in and of themselves. We have Sinister is a heavily cloned character. Obviously, as we see in Immortal X-Men number eight, um, that is going to be a piece of kind of how things progress here uh, without saying too much. The clone saga, though, of course, is infamous in Marvel history. I think there's been sort of a critical, it, maybe not a rejuvenation, but certainly a, a sort of like, not as bad as we thought it was kind of, kind of attitude. How do you avoid the pitfalls of clones and going just horribly wrong with having too many of the same person or characters running around? Um, the problem of the 90s, uh, and this is me just speaking incredibly broadly, is that, like, it was just, there was a lot of stuff going on, and there was no, I mean, the thing about the Clone Saga is, it changed what the story was repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> and they were just trying to pull stuff, and then this is just absolute chaos, and they have no idea what's going to happen. You know, and, um, um, for, um uh, Brevoort's newsletter recently it did a big thing about the clone saga. I think it was last week even. Oh, okay. I should check that out. And he's, yeah. talk, he's talking about the... He's, I tell you, Tom Brevoort's newsletter is fire almost every week. Yeah. As in, he's like, you, you rarely get someone that important in a company talking that honestly about a company. Okay. <laughs> like, honestly, you get stuff like, is he going to be mean about my book? Because you really don't know if Tom is going to be mean about your book or not. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like, I don't think it works out well. Uh, but he talked about the clone saga and how the, they had no idea how... They had to change how it ended and they had... It was all. They did. They did a comedy issue about all the endings they could have done. Yeah, you know what right. I mean. And that's a. Yeah. And that's not a problem we have. Okay. Like we know exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Uh. Uh. And that's his part of it. A lot of it is just. Um, if you're right, just like my sinister, the sinister I'm writing. Um, like yeah, he's made it. Like I made an entire city of clones of him. But that, that's the joke. Yeah, as in right. they're not, you know, they are him, <laughs> and it's it's not just having multiple characters; it's having one character. It's like multiple man. Multiple man works fine, and the trick of actually doing clone clones is making sure they're all characters. Like you know, what I mean, like, um, and I think that's the art of it. As in, 
in and I of themselves. Yeah. I, yeah, I, like, I can't talk too much about what we're doing in Sins of Sinister, but like they're, they're definitely in terms of like the the, the, the Sinister takes over the universe aspect of it. Uh, universe is not the right word, <laughs> but you know, takes over a lot of stuff. Uh, is still keeping like interesting. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's it's kind of like it's all about you want enough people to write and cloning as a device and a story plot rather than a mere copy and pasting of an individual. Unless yeah. that's the joke. Yeah, uh, sure. That's my basic take, but I I don't really worry about that. I mean, also like it's cloning as as separate as the technology. Obviously, you got things like um. But Sinister creates clones as throwaway weapons. That's one of them. That, that, that's the awful horror. Of, you know, Sinister is a clone list. He's a like he's somebody who is takes stuff that, that belongs to other people, appropriates it, and uses it for his own ends. Yeah. It's that kind of a fundamental transgression. He treats people like objects. Yeah. And that's the thing. He looks at a mutant, doesn't think, oh, they are beautiful individuals. You think that was me the, the, when I was reinventing Sinister. The core sort of idea is, like you know, most villains ask a serious question to the characters, and most of the villains in the X, most X villains, you know. Yeah, mutants are bad and sinister it, the sinister i was writing him is no mutants are amazing all that matters is their extra you know as in it absolutely reduces them down to what makes them special because yeah. that's of course and it, that makes that's quite a difficult question because krakoa is based around that idea you know so sinister does agree with them yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's that is an ethically all that's like one of the dark awful questions in the middle of krakoa actually i think yeah. but that is how you end up with Sinister's cloning as weaponry, which is a very different use of cloning than, say, the clone saga. Or right. Just that, yeah, etc. Yeah. Okay. No, that's a good answer. Uh, we got a question from Lucas. Which Immortal X-Men character has surprised you the most while writing their perspective? Um, did you, did you, was there a character who jumped out at you? Maybe you liked him more, liked him less? Something that changed the most while you were writing them? Uh, I'm going to say sure. Um, like, um, the, because um, I've got these big, I wrote a lot about all the characters on the way in, and some cast wrote more, some cast wrote less. And the ones I really kind of had a hot take on coming in were people like, you know, Sinister, Moira, not Moira, sorry, Destiny, um, uh, Exodus, you know, those kind of those are kind of characters. Yeah. Emma, um, and there's other characters I had a bit more let. Let's show a good example of them. And like, if you write, if you see how I write before my issue and after it, it's significantly different. Mm. Because, like, and still was, but, you know, he's a, almost like a comedy character beforehand. He's, like, very much Emma's, like, slightly more brutal sidekick, as right. in that there's a voice in that, you know, he hasn't quite got the agency. Uh, and second, I had to write him internally and give him a kind of, like, a, a real proper perspective on how would he justify himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he opened up and said, oh, no, he's an interesting guy. Now. I, like, not necessarily, just he's awful in a very specific way. I mean, I like quite a lot of, when I'm doing character writing, I get a kind of, there's a thing that people do when doing impressions. It's basically they have to they have a guide word. I mean, I don't know, a guide phrase. That's basically mm. if you lose the accent, you can say that sentence and reset your accent. Oh, okay. Um, and I kind of quite often think about like characters. I get, I write down, I, quite often early on, I hit a line and it's like, oh, right, that's it. Like, that's the core and everything else builds up around it. It's a worldview. Um, like with What's the Future, there's a bit where Bridget um, uh, defines a, a, a thing that shoots stakes and goes, what's that? Oh, leave it down, it's hunting vampires. You were uh, you hunt that you hunted vampires. Yeah, I used to. What happened? I ran out of vampires. So I just wrote that exchange. It's like that's Bridget there. That kind of nonchalant hard ass. Yeah. And and the history and not telling it all that's Bridget. And with Shaw it was me writing um people said people ask me if I regret um, you know, investing in uh, the Sentinel project. Yeah. Of course I do. 
Of course I do. If I got in a little early, I would have made a few more points. Yeah. And that, you know, that, that. <laughs> and then the complete, like, two fingers up to your sense of morality. Yes. Casual. And, it, and also, they're quite funny. You know, that, that kind of, he knows, he knows that's going to get a troll. It's like, you know, of course I regret it. I could have made more money. Yeah. And that's like, but at the same time, that's all for a quite compelling way. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. So it's like, so perfect. Then, and it also helped me understand why he was invested in Project Wide Awake, <laughs> which yes. always confused the hell out of me. I was like, why is Shaw here? And then I read that and I was like, oh, right. He's making money. Why did I, why did I ever doubt this? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a good capitalist. And of course, contradiction in terms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Great answer. Uh, final question. This is the one that I ask uh, all the editors that I have on here. A lot of readers uh, got got pretty um, concerned when writer Jonathan Hickman left. Obviously, since then, Destiny Vex yourself, Al Ewing, and company have stepped in. What can you say, obviously without spoiling anything, about the confidence you have in the, the office and where things are going? How do you feel about sort of where all this is heading um, that people should be excited about and, and want to invest in X-Men comics? Yeah, I was about my immediate. This is the mischievous part of me. I just wanted to have a have fake some kind of breakdown in terms of oh no, it's all gone to hell. Uh, <laughs> like everything on fire. We all yeah, yeah. Now. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, no, um, I tell you what, it just feels. I was saying earlier in terms of like it just feels like okay, let's really let, let's examine stuff and where make sure we're paying everything off. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like this. I said when I joined the, the OX office, for me it was the case I need to carry on what John's doing. Like it's so much like part of the, it's almost like set up and pay off. In some ways, like John getting, John was flirting with me in public over coming back to write some stuff yeah. for years or whatever it was. Um, and it does feel like me coming and go, okay, I've taken John's stuff seriously and I'm built on it here. And I think people, especially like when Immortal Eight dropped, since it's quite an intellectual issue, mm-hmm. I think it took a little. I saw sort of following the conversation a little online. It took a little while for people to realize, oh wait, a lot of stuff just been set up here. Mm-hmm. And wait, this links to you know this links to the AI stuff, this links to Dominions, this links all these. Where's that? Is that plan linking all these books together? We have we've only just noticed. Yes, you know what I mean, yes. like that. And I think now is about people goes, oh right, no, there, there's a distinct real plan here, and like, and it's a plan that's built on the stuff that John has set up right from the beginning. Um, so yeah, that's what I think. I think it's something is like the moment of like, oh right. And that's what I think. It's like there's a lot of pennies dropping. And eventually this avalanche of pennies will make us all rich, um, metaphorically and perhaps physically. Yeah. That's not the best metaphor I've ever said, but uh, that's what I'm going out on. I know what you mean, though. I I know what you mean. And I I have a very, now that we're seeing these seeds, right, and we're seeing it all come together, you know, and it's it's something that, and I'm seeing your people in the chat asking, and it's, I, I think it's, the answer is like, yes, this stuff's gonna pay off, right? Like these, these mysteries were planted, these seeds were planted, and you all have a plan, and now we're kind of steadily seeing Okay, like we're getting we're getting the sinister stuff. We're getting some powers of ten connections. Um, we've got Moira involved, right? There's all these things that are important pieces, and they're all coming to a head. And we're going to see some of it in Sins of Sinister, and then we're going to see Fallout, and then we're going to see Fall of X, in which I anticipate you can't confirm or deny. I'm sure, but I anticipate we'll see more of the Orcus versus uh, Krakoa side of things. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited. I've I have a high degree of confidence in Sins of Sinister, uh, Karen. So I'm, I'm telling everyone it's going to be great. And I, I fully expect that it will be. <laughs> thank, thank you for your thank you for your vote of faith. I just hope it's entertaining. Like I found myself sort of, I think my, I would say my regret about Immortal, but um, like the fact, that, my God, I've got a bunch of mysteries. And like I've set them up, and you know, I'm like I could have probably not set up as many mysteries. As in, like it's sort of like, and it's so 
it's almost like the opposite. I just say sinister is in many ways like not quite the not. It's about sinister and destiny. They're kind of dual, and they're yeah. kind of. But it's more like you know we know more about sinister. And destiny is keeping her her cards closer than sinister is. Right. And that's like that's a weird as in basically the kind of heroic figure is the person who we know least about. But what? Why? What? What? Why are we keeping that as a distance? Okay. And like mystery's hard. And I mean that kind of like mystery is what, what John runs off. John runs off from not quite true. One of the things John does best is make promises, and like and then you no know, because John's a structuralist, you'll pay them off. Yeah. But it's also that kind of like putting that amount of weight on something means that you want the payoff to be enormous. Mm. You know, what I mean that's always my regret. Like because I'm somebody who does like mysteries, and I think I occasionally overegg the mystery. Um, because I, I also think it's more like writing critique things. Is mysteries are more interesting to writers than readers. And I don't think that's always true, mm. but it's still because writers know how the plot goes. Therefore, they like twists. <laughs> yeah. No, um, we'll say Honestly, I'm really excited. Like, basically, after Judgment Day, we've got everything back on, you know, everything slid together. Uh, all the amazing stuff from, uh, from X-Men Red. Um, and then it ties together. You know, I mean, like, I just feel like it feels really exciting, especially 9 and 10 are two of my favourite issues. Like, 9 is... Um, a sort of a very playful monstrous messy issue and 10 is like it's finally the savior issue and it's like it's I've, it's one that goes for the throat i think it's like um it's a writing a writing xavier trying to justify it xavier now when most of the fandom mm. seems to hate him that's yeah. fun yeah you know i mean like I'm, I'm i'm like unrepentant <laughs> so uh, i hope people like it what's your uh what's your professor x go to as far as character work do you go to the mike carey um, yeah, as I say, I, I think Mike does it best. Like, I mean, the problem is, this is a, we've got to stop now, I think, and this is a different interview. I think the problem with Xavier is, he is basically the person, he's not the lead character in his book ever. He's the person who set all this stuff in motion, but he can only ever be the distant teacher figure. He's not the protagonist. He's only very rarely been the protagonist, which yeah. is, um, you know, legacy, you know, Mike's run is probably the best example of that. Um, and of course, that means he's a character who will always become ethically more questionable. <laughs> just yeah. that's the most that's the plot and also generations of daddy issues <laughs> yes yes so instead of like magneto can only get more redeemed xavier can only fall and as my meta reading is that's a little unfair uh, because that's that's not really xavier's fault yeah that's just the, that's the weight of story but like i'm not undoing any of that that's much more kind of like no let's take where he is and say this is why xavier was right <laughs> somebody <laughs> needs to xavier, yeah well exactly or how xavier would say xavier was right which is a fun which you know, is perfect you know, I, I people like it. I enjoy drawing. Anyway. Amazing. All right, Kieran, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you hopping on for this. Uh, thanks to everybody who joined live in the chat. Again, this will be available after the fact if you joined us late. Uh, you can always just watch it on the channel. And of course, we'll upload it as a podcast as well. Um, but Kieran, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Good talking. Good talking.